Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lucky's Peach Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, the Lucky Peach. Welcome to me recording in my work clothes, smelling like dog. Because I put off and also was too busy to record early like I normally do. So if you're listening on Patreon at patreon.com slash luckypeach, I apologize for the late upload. No excuses, honestly. I could have recorded, but I don't know. Just this week was not the best. It was not that great. I was I was uh, quite burnt out. And now I'm forcing myself to get out of that instead of waiting for it to naturally end. I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's going to end up being a bad thing. We will find out. You know? Uh, we, we, we shall see how that turns out. Um, anyways, yes, I just got home from work and I was like, I need to get this shit out of the way. Um, so, this is me getting it out of the way when I should have done it a week ago, but whatever. Life happens. Um, yeah. Nothing, oh, I guess, I mean... Burnout is the most exciting thing that has happened to me since uh, Streaming Wars. Uh, I got a new tattoo. Um, if you go to my Twitter at Lucky Peach, you can see a picture of that. It is um, it is like a bathroom gender sign. But like, so there's like the male figure for the bathroom sign. And then on top of it, upside down is the female figure but the there's just one head circle so it's like the bodies are flipped towards each other i don't know how to better explain it than that um yeah basically it just sums up how i feel about my gender being that i am gender fluid so yeah it's about to start peeling but i don't know if anything else interesting has happened, um, I, I mean, I had a stressful week of location scouting for a production, um, and by stressful, I mean the locations I found were not the ones that I needed to be looking for. So, I'm stressed out, basically having to start from square one. It, it, yeah. I'm not going to rant about that. I'm just going to say that I'm stressed out. And also my partner in location scouting has COVID, so he can't even help right now. Anyways, so, yeah. That that conversation about the location scouting was not one I needed to have while I was currently burned out, but, you know, that's no one's fault. You know, I'm not going to expect someone else to know how I'm feeling at any given moment. Or that they have to walk on eggshells just because I'm not feeling good. But that being said, today is Cult of the Month. Woo! If you're new here, Cult of the Month is the second Tuesday of each month where I review a film with a cult following that has been further than deemed as a cult classic film. And today, Cult of the Month. 
because it is Black History Month, I cho- am choosing to review Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, directed by Melvin Van Peebles, um, who uh, recently passed away. So rest in peace, King. Sorry, I was reading something. Um, so the film itself, released in 1971, um, it is part of the black exploitation genre. It was uh, the first um, the first um, with Shaft, Sweet Sweetback, and Shaft were the first black exploitation films. They invented the genre. Um, the reason it's both of them and not just one is because they both released the same year. Uh, so, yes, black exploitation. Though, if you have not heard that term before, um, it's an ethnic subgenre of the exploitation film genre um, that emerged during the seventies. Obviously. Um, bah, 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 bah. That does not have an explanation. Wikipedia, you are failing me today. Okay, so basically, um, the genre proliferates offenses to the black community in its perpetuation of stereotypical characters, often involved in criminal criminal activity. Um, and that's said by uh, Junius Griffin of the. Uh, in AACP, uh, he coined the term. Um, so the films were originally and are generally um, aimed at the urban African-American audiences, um, but the genre's audience appeal has broadened across racial and ethnic lines over time, um, mostly with Hollywood realizing the, the profit of expanding the audience, um, which is both fucked up and also kind of like, well, it's, I mean, it depends because it has the potential to be fucked up and it also has the potential to be like, okay, other, you know, this doesn't need to be for one ethnic group. But then at the same time, you know, those same films can be utilized for racism. Anyways, um, they were also the first films to feature soundtracks of funk and soul music. Um, I apologize if I pause a lot while I'm talking. I, my burnout is not doing me good in terms of socializing. So, um, another further explanation of exploitation, uh, Vincent Canby of the New York Times in 1976 called it a supercharged bad talking highly romanticized melodramas about harlem super studs the pimps the private eyes and the pushers who more or less single-handedly make whitey's corrupt world safe for black pimping black private eyeing and black pushing yeah yeah so it's 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 within the exploitation drama you know the you know there's exploitation there's other forms of exploitation films. This exploitation is the only other one I can think of off the top of my head at the moment, but you know what I mean. The subgenres of exploitation films fit 
you know, the first part of the name, you know, black exploitation, sex exploitation. Um, anyways. So, as I said before, it's written, co-produced, scored, edited, directed by, and starring Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, his son, Mario Van Peebles, appears in a small role playing the title character as a young boy. Um, Van Peebles began to develop the film after being offered a three-picture contract for Columbia Pictures. No studio would finance the film, so Van Peebles funded it himself. Uh, shooting independently over 19 days, performing all of his own stunts, and appearing in several sex scenes, some reportedly unsimulated. I did not know that. Wow. You know what? I know which scenes that refers to. Oh. Oh. I'm seeing this movie in a whole different light now. Oh my god. Because knowing how this film was made, it was consensual. So. Oh, okay. The next sentence is kind of fucked up, though. Uh, he received a $50,000 loan from Bill Cosby to complete the project. Yikes. Um, the film's fast-paced montages and jump cuts were unique features in American cinema at the time. The picture was censored in some markets and received mixed reviews. However, it has left a lasting impression on American cinema. It did have a screening uh, at the end of Houston, the Houston Cinema Arts Festival. Um, I wasn't able to make it because that was the day that I went back to work after the festival. So, yeah. And then I believe... Um, the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston is uh, showing a couple of uh, Melvin Van Peebles films in their theater, um, including this. So, and then he recently got a box set uh, with the Criterion Collection. I believe it's called the Essential Van Melvin Van Peebles. Um. Yeah. Okay. In 2020. Oh, uh, we'll see if, if, if that goes. Yeah, it'll be further down. This article is actually long. This is probably some of the most information I've had about a film uh, for Culture of the Month. So the plot, uh, the plot goes, a young African-American orphan is sheltered by a Los Angeles brothel in the 1940s. Working as a towel boy, he is seduced by one of the prostitutes. I would not call that seduced because children don't fully understand consent you can oh my god why are my family my family's talking really loud I'm sorry if you'll hear that children can't fully understand consent they can understand yet saying yes and no to something but they don't fully understand the implications of that and the importance of it so I would not call it seduction I would call that something else. I would call that grape. Anyways, the women named him Sweet Sweetback in honor of his sexual prowess and large penis. As an adult, Sweetback performs in the whorehouse sex show. One night, two white LAPD officers come in to speak to Sweetback's boss, Beetle. A black man has been murdered and there is pressure from the black community to bring in a suspect. The police suggest arresting Sweetback to appease their superiors, blame him for the crime, and then release him. A few days later, for lack of evidence, Beetle agrees, and they arrest Sweetback. On the way to the police station, the officers also arrest a young Black Panther named Mumu after some trouble. 
They handcuff him to sweep back, but when Mumu insults the officers, they take both men out of the car, undo the handcuff from Mumu, and beat him. In response, Sweetback fashions his handcuffs into brass knuckles and beat the officers, putting them into comas. Sweetback returns to the whorehouse for help, but Beetle refuses out of fear of being arrested himself. As Sweetback leaves... Oh my fucking god. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If y'all have to hear that, they are talking very loudly, very closely to my bedroom, and I do not know why. Anyways, as Sweetback leaves... He is arrested and beaten by order of the police chief seeking information about Mumu's whereabouts, but escapes when a black revolutionary throws a Molotov cocktail at the police car, transporting him to the station for more severe interrogation. He next visits... I'm busy! Bro. This is the worst week for this shit to be happening. This is what I get for putting off recording. Anyways... He next visits an old girlfriend who similarly refuses him aid, but cuts his handcuffs handcuffs off in exchange for sex. Sweetback then asks his priest for help, but he refuses for fear of the police shutting down the church's drug rehab center. Police officers interrogate Beetle, seeking to discover Sweetback's whereabouts, rendering him deaf by firing a gun against each ear. Sweetback meets up with Mumu, and black gangsters drive them through South Central Los Angeles to the outskirts. Stopping overnight at a seemingly abandoned building, they discover it is a safe house for the Hells Angels. Their helmeted president challenges Sweetback to a duel. Asked to decide the weapon, and discovering she's a woman, he chooses sex and is judged to win. The bikers leave the men in their club to await a member of the all-black East Bay Dragons, who will get them to Mexico. During the night, the club is raided by two policemen with drawn guns. Sweetback resists arrest and kills both officers in self-defense, but Mumu is badly wounded. The next morning, the dragon arrives, but his motorcycle can only carry one. Sweetback asks him to take Mumu as the activist is their future. As Sweetback and Mumu continue to evade arrest, pressure mounts on the police. The police chief warns the staff that the fugitive's example could prompt a black uprising. The police badly beat up a black man sleeping with a white woman, believing him to prop be probably one of the fugitives and that he deserves a, be- a beating in any case. Uh, it's fucked up. Later, Beetle, now in a wheelchair following the police brutality, is brought to the morgue to identify a body believed to be Sweetback and smells when he sees it is someone else. As the police troll black areas for him, they find Sweetback's biological and rather confused mother who reveals that, he- that his birth name is Leroy. Sweetback pays a hippie to switch clothes with him, deceiving a police helicopter which sends a patrol car in pursuit. Sweetback was also wounded in the shootout and both stows away both stows away and hitches rides stow stows away. It doesn't seem like good grammar. I don't know what the proper grammar for stow is. They both stow away and hitch rides on trucks and a train heading south. Running through arid country, he survives by drinking from a puddle and eating a lizard. When police hear he might be at a rural hippie musical event, he successfully disguises himself by simulating sex in the bushes. He is later spotted, and police borrow a farmer's hunting dogs to track him. Realizing he will cross the border before they reach him, a policeman re- releases the dogs, expecting them to catch and kill him. However, at the Tijuana River, Sweetback stabs the dogs and then escapes to Mexico, swearing to return to collect some dues. So, I apologize for all those interruptions during that reading. 
Uh, what is this podcast if not a mess? So the cast stars uh, Melvin Van Peebles as Sweetback, Hubert Scales as Momo, Simon Chuckster as Beetle, John Dulligan as Commissioner, uh, Retta Hughes as Old Girlfriend, John Amos as Biker, and Mario Van Peebles as Young Sweetback. Um, but I swear to God. I'm so sorry. I'm probably going to keep yelling about my brother being too loud. So pre-production, during production on Watermelon Man for Columbia Pictures, uh, Van Peebles attempted to rewrite the script in order to change it from a comedy poking fun at white liberals into the first black power film. The writer, Herman Raucher, who had based the script on friends of his who expressed liberal sentiments while still holding on to bigoted beliefs, objected Van Peebles' efforts because he felt that the movie should be a parody of liberal culture. Roucher immediately exercised a clause in his contract that allowed him to novelize his own script, effectively effectively preventing people from too radically changing the film. That's fucked up. Um, I mean, it does say that he still had bigoted beliefs, even though he was pretending to be a liberal. I mean, I know a lot of people like that, not gonna lie. So that makes a lot of sense. But it is fucked up. After Watermelon Man proved to be a financial success, Van Peebles was offered a three-picture contract. While the deal was still up in the air, Van Peebles, still wanting to create his first, the first Black Power film, developed the story for Sweetback, Sweet, Sweetback's Badass Song. The initial idea for the film did not come clearly to him at first. One day, Van Peebles drove into the Mojave Desert, turned off the highway, and drove over the rise of a hill. He parked the car, got out, and squatted down facing the sun. I I feel like he's being loud next to my door on purpose now. He parked the car, got out, and squatted down facing the sun. He decided that the film was going to be about a brother getting um, the man's foot out of his ass. That is a direct quote. Um, because no studio would finance the film, Van Peebles put his own money into the production and started independently. Van Peebles was given a $50,000 loan by Bill Cosby ugh, to complete the film. Cosby didn't want an equity part, according to Peebles. Uh, he just wanted his money back. What does that mean? Oh, like he wanted to be paid back from the gross, from the from from the gross, from the profits. Um, Van Peebles wound up with controlling ownership of the film. Several actors auditioned for the lead role of Sweetback, but told Van Peebles that they would not do the film unless they were given more dialogue. Van Peebles ended up playing the part himself. According to Van Peebles, Peebles. Uh, during the first day of shooting, director of photography and head cameraman Bob Maxwell told him he could not mix two different shades of mechanical film lights because he believes the results would not appear well on film. Van Peebles told him to do it anyway. When he saw the rushes, Maxwell was overjoyed and Van Peebles did not encounter that issue again during the shoot. Van Peebles shot the film over a relatively short period of 19 days in order to reduce the possibility of the cast, most of whom were amateurs, showing on, on some days with haircuts or clothes different from the prior day. He shot the film in what he referred to as globs, where he would shoot entire sequences at a time. Uh, because Van Peebles could not afford a stuntman, he performed all of the stunts himself, which also included appearing in several unsimulated sex scenes. At one point in the shoot, Van Peebles was forced to jump off a bridge. Bob Maxwell later stated, Well, that's great, Mel, but let's do it again. Van Peebles ended up performing the stunt nine times. Oh, Jesus, that... Oof. 
The people's contracted gonorrhea when filming one of the many sex scenes and successfully applied to the director's guild in order to get workers' compensation because he was hurt on the job. Oh, wow. Oh, and people's used the money to purchase more film. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to finesse the system. That's one way to finesse the industry. That's so wild, though. Vin Peebles and several key crew members were armed because it was dangerous to attempt to create a film without the support of the union. One day, Van Peebles looked for his gun and failed to find it. Van Peebles found out that someone had put it in the prop box when they filmed the scene in which Beetle was interrogated by police who fired a gun next to both of his ears. It was feared that the real gun would be picked up instead of the prop. I'm assuming it wasn't the it was the prop because it doesn't say that it was the real gun. That is, oof, now that I'm reading that, that's all too real considering things that happened last year. Uh, while shooting a sequence with members of the Hells Angels, one of them bikers told Van Peebles they wanted to leave. Van Peebles responded by telling them they were paid to stay until the scene was over. The biker took out a knife and started cleaning his fingernails with it. In response, Van Peebles snapped his fingers and his crew members were standing there with rifles. The biker stayed to shoot the scene. Holy shit. I'm loving the story behind the making of this film. I'm not even gonna lie. This is amazing. Van Peebles had received a permit to set a car on fire, but had done so on a Friday. As a result, there was no time to have it filed before shooting the scene. When the scene was shot, when the, she when the scene was shot, a fire truck showed up. This ended the final cut of the film. This ended up in the final cut of the film. It sure did. Um, the people stated that he approached directing the film like, quote, like you do the cupboard when you're broke and hungry. Throw in everything eatable and hope to come out on top with the seasoning, i.e. by editing, end quote. And people stated that, quote, story-wise, it came with, came up with an idea. Why not direct, not the, I came up, sorry. <laughs> Story-wise, I came up with an idea. Why not the direct approach? To avoid putting myself into a corner and writing something I wouldn't be able to shoot, I made a list of the givens in the situation and tried to make try to take those givens and juggle them into the final scenario. End quote. Um, okay. Um, Van Peebles wanted, quote, a victorious film where with the N-word, um, could walk out standing tall instead of avoiding each other's eyes looking once again like they'd had it end quote and people's was aware of the fact that films produced by major studios would appear to be more polished than low budget independently made features and was determined to make a film that quote looked as good as anything one of the major studios could turn out end quote there's gonna be more quotes uh, uh van peoples knew that in order to spread his message the film quote simply couldn't be a didactic discourse which would end up playing to an empty theater for 10 or 20 aware brothers who would pat me on the back and say it tells it like it is end quote and that's a quote that quote to attract the mass we have to produce work that not only instructs but entertains end quote van peoples also wanted to make a film that would quote be able to sustain itself as a viable commercial product uh the man Ain't about to go carrying no messages for you, especially a relevant one for free, end quote. Van Peebles wanted half of his shooting crew, quote, 
to be third world people, so at best, a staggering amount of my crew would be relatively inexperienced. Any type of, type of film requiring an enormous technical sophistication at the shooting stage would not be attempted, end quote. Van Peebles knew that gaining financing for the film would not be easy and expected, quote, a great deal of animosity from the film media at all levels of filmmaking, end quote. Thus, he had to, quote, write a flexible script where emphasis could be shifted in short stay loose end quote um the film's fast-paced montages and jump cuts were novel features for an american movie at the time stephen holden from the new york times commented that the film's editing had a quote had quote a jazzy improvisational quality and the screen is often streaked with jarring psychedelic effects that illustrates weeks back sweet backs alienation end quote um, in the 50 most influential black films, a celebration of African-American talent, determination, and creativity, author S. Toriano Berry writes that the film's, quote, odd camera angles, superimpositions, reverse key effects, box and matting effects, rack focus shots, extreme zoom, stop motion, and step printing, and an abundance of jittery handheld camera work all helped to express the paranoid nightmare that Sweetback's life had become, end quote. Uh, since Van Peebles did not have the money to hire a composer, he composed the film's music score himself. Because he did not know how to read or write music, he numbered all of the keys on a piano so he could remember the melodies. That's smart. That's actually really smart. Why didn't I think of doing that when I wanted to learn piano? I mean, now I don't want to, but when I did, why didn't I think of that? Why Why aren't piano, piano, why aren't piano keys numbered? Anyways... Many people stated that, quote, most filmmakers look at a feature film feature in terms of image and story or vice versa. Effects and music are strictly secondary considerations. Very few look at film with sound considered as a creative third dimension. So I calculate the scenario in such a way that sound can be used. Fuck my life. As an integral part of the film, end quote. I could not agree more as a person who very much loves sound and is a um, audiophile. I could not agree more music is one of the most crucial parts of a film every part of a film is crucial but the music is so important if if the music the soundtrack or the score don't fit in right it's you're not gonna get the right feel you know you know a good way to use music and film is to use it as an aid in telling the story. The best example I can think of, aside from this film, would be Teton, or Titan. I don't know people, everyone I know pronounces it differently. I call it Teton. Some, I've heard someone call it Titan, but you know what I'm saying. The music should help tell the story. That should be a thing where, like, you listen to the soundtrack, and the soundtrack alone can help, can tell the story without actually having to watch the movie. Continuing on, uh, the film's music was performed by then-unknown group Earth, Wind, and Fire, who were living in a single apartment with hardly any food at the time. Van Peebles' secretary was dating one of the band members and convinced him to contact them about performing the music for the film. Van Peebles projected scenes from their film as the band performed the music. By alternating hymn-based vocalization and jazz rhythms, Van Peebles created a sound that foreshadowed the use of sampling in hip-hop music. Van Peebles recalls that, quote, music was not used as a selling tool in movies at the time, even musicals. It would take three months after the release of the movie before they would bring out an album, end quote. 
Because Van Peebles did not have any money for traditional advertising methods, he decided that by releasing a soundtrack album in anticipation of the film's release, he could help build awareness for the film with its music. I'm glad he did that because he opened a whole new window of um, film marketing with that. The film was released on March 31st, 1971 at the Grand Circus Theater in Detroit and on April, April 2nd, 1971 at the Coronet Theater in Atlanta. Melvin, Melvin Van Peeble stated that, quote, at first, only two theaters in the United States would show the picture, one in Detroit and one in Atlanta. The first night in Detroit, it broke all the theater's records, and that was only on the strength of the title alone, since nobody had seen it yet. By the second day, people would take their lunch and sit through it three times. I knew that I was finally talking to my audience. Sweet Sweet Pex Badass song made thousands of dollars in its first day, end quote. It grossed $70,000 in its first week in Detroit. The film went on to gross over $15 million at the box office. Um, um, okay, that, up for, what's, what's the proper term? The inflated price in like, it says in $2016, so you know, adjusted for inflation. That's what I was thinking about. Adjusted for inflation, uh, that that was about $90 million. So, like, $15 million then was the equivalent of $90 million now. Uh, after Sweetback received an X rating from the Motion Picture Association of America. Come on. Come on, Jack Valenti. Come on, Jack. Um, inspiring the advertising tagline rated X by an all-white jury and the musical theater in Boston cut nine scenes out of the film, Van Peebles stated, quote, should the rest of the community submit to your censorship, that is its business, but white standards shall no longer be imposed on the black community, end quote. The Region 2 DVD released from BFI Video has the opening sex sequences altered. A notice at the beginning of the DVD states, quote, in order to comply with the UK law, uh, with the Protection of Children Act 1978, a number of images in the opening sequence of this film have been obscured, end quote. I believe it doesn't say it on here, but it's saying the opening sequence altered. I'm pretty sure the Criterion did not, the Criterion release did not uh, censor it because, I mean, even if that's not like Criterion to do that anyways. Um, very much not like Criterion to censor a film. Um, so if you're wondering, you can watch it on the Criterion channel, because that's where I watched it. Um, critical response was mixed. Kevin Thomas in the Los Angeles Times described the film as, quote, a series of stark earthly vignettes. Van Peebles evokes the vitality, humor, pain, despair, and omnipresent fear that is life for so many African Americans, end quote. Um, ugh, I don't want to read that one, but I'm going to. Stephen Holden in the New York Times called it, quote, an innovative yet politically inflammatory film, end quote. Get fucked. The film website, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which compiles reviews from a wide range of critics, gives the film a score of 72%. Uh, the end of the film was shocking to black viewers who had expected the sweet pack would perish at the hands of the police, a common, even inevitable fate of black men on the run in prior films. Uh, film critic Roger Ebert cited the ending as a reason for the film not to be labeled as an explo exploitation film. Mm, I, I can see why he would say that, but I disagree. I, I, I wouldn't say the ending alone 
would negate the whole film itself being called exploitation. Anyways, because I mean, an exploitation film generally, you know, it exploits trends and niche genres and lyric content and stuff like that. You know, like Night of the Living Dead is an exploitation film. So, I, I mean, even with, like, I can see the argument. He, Roger, you know, our least favorite person on this podcast, I can see the argument he's making, but I do not think that, like, the ending alone should make it, you know, make the label of exploitation just go away because I'm like, Roger, did you not watch the movie? Anyways, uh, the New York Times critic Clayton Riley viewed the film favorably, uh, commenting on its aesthetic innovation, but stated of the character of Sweetback that he is, quote, that he, quote, is the ultimate sexualist in whose seemingly vacant eyes and unrevealing mouth are written the protocols of American domestic colonialism, end quote. And in other reviews, Riley explained that, quote, Sweetback, the profane sexual athlete and fugitive, is based on a reality that is black. We may not want him to exist, but he does. End quote. I like that he exists. I quite like Sweetback. Uh, critic Donald Bogle states in a New York Times interview that the film in some ways met the black audience's compensatory, compen, com, compensatory needs after years of asexual Sidney Poitier type characters and that they wanted a, quote, viable, sexual, assertive, arrogant, black male hero, end quote. I agree with that. Now that I think about it, I never thought about it that way. Now that, yeah, because when I think of film history, now that I'm thinking about it, black characters prior to this weren't portrayed that way. They were portrayed in the, you know, Sydney Poitiers wait which you know there's nothing wrong with that we love sydney portier in this household but i can see what they mean like you know it gives more dimension because it's not like because then it's like you know all black characters prior to this were played the same in this way you know it's being like yeah people have personalities everyone's different people's personalities are different what the fuck like why not show that show a sexualized man anyways in a compendium about the museum of modern arts film and media collection curator stephen stephen higgins describes the film place in history quote not since oscar michaud had an african-american filmmaker taken such complete control of the creative process turning out a work so deeply connected to its own personal and cultural reality that he was not surprised when the white critical establishment professed bewilderment. It depends less on its story of a super stud running from the police than it does on its disinterest in referencing white culture and its radically new understanding of how style and substance inform each other, end quote. Um, Metroactive's Nikki Baxter's response is mixed. Quote, Sweet, Sweetback introduced the biggest and baddest buck of the 
black exploitation era, warts and all, the film is perhaps the closest analogy to the progressive aims of the then flourishing black arts movement. Indeed, it can be argued that because it was written, produced, and directed by an American-born African outside of Hollywood, the film was not truly part of the black exploitation genre. Yet it cannot be denied that it shares certain thematic similarities. Get fucked. The film works best when it follows Sweetback's odyssey from stud boy to proto-nationalist consciousness. Unlike the Horatio Alger-style integrationism propagated in past films about blacks, here we see an outlaw among outlaws nourished by a community segregated from the mainstream. It is in this disenfranchised community and not the sterile offices of the NAACP that he seeks and finds refuge. That feels like they're trying to, like, that, that feels like they're trying to take a shot at the NAACP. Uh, that's... You know, there are multiple, op- uh, you know, options. Yes, this showed another option. But this, nope. It sounds like you're trying to take a dig at the double ends. Like, that option. The sordid sexual trysts, the faux fantasies, and the resort are finally less interesting than Sweetback's quest for self-realization. End quote. Alright. I don't agree with the person's review. Um, Huey P. Newton, devoting an entire issue of the Black Panther to the film's revolutionary implications, celebrated and welcomed the film as, quote, the first truly revolutionary Black film made, presented to us by a Black man. End quote. Newton wrote that Sweetback, quote, presents the need for unity among all members and institutions within the community of victims, end quote, contending that this is evidenced by the opening credits, which state the film stars the Black community. Uh, a collective protagonist engaged in various acts of community solidarity that aid Sweetback in escaping. Newton further argued that, quote, the film demonstrates the importance of unity and love between Black men and women, end quote, as demonstrated, quote, in the scene where the woman makes love to the young boy but in fact baptizes him into his true manhood, end quote. This is, in fact, the rape scene mentioned in the earlier plot summary. Thank you, Wikipedia, for clarifying that I knew what he was referring to. The film became required viewing for members of the Black Panther Party. Makes a lot of sense. Um, A few months after the publication of Newton's article, historian Lerone Bennett Jr. responded with an essay on the film in Ebony titled uh, The Emancipation Orgasm, Sweetback in Wonderland, in which he discussed the film's Black aesthetic. Bennett argued that the film romanticized the poverty and misery of the ghetto and that, quote, some men foolishly identified the black aesthetic with empty bellies and big-bottomed prostitutes, end quote. Bennett concluded that the film is, quote, neither revolutionary nor black because it presents the spectator with sterile daydreams and a superhero who is ahistorical, selfishly individualist with no revolutionary program, who acts out of panic and desperation, end quote. Bennett describes, described Sweetback's sexual infl- initiation at 10 years old as, quote, rape of a child by a 40-year-old prostitute, end quote. I mean, that, yeah, yeah, it is rape. But I disagree with the rest of what he said. I mean, it is rape of a child, but the prior stuff I don't agree with. Uh, Bennett describes instances when Sweetback saved himself through the use of his sexual prowess as emancipation orgasms and stated that it is that, quote, it is necessary to say, frankly, that nobody ever fucked his way to freedom, and it is mischievous mischievous and reactionary, finally, 
for anyone to suggest that black people in 1971, that they are going to be able to screw their way across the Red Sea, fucking will not say free. If fucking free black people would have celebrated the millennium 400 years ago, end quote. I think you missed the point of the film. It's not saying that's the only way to be freed. It's just, you know, sexual emancipation is different than what this film is trying to convey. I think you missed the point. Black nationalist poet and author Haki Ahur Matubuti, I apologize if I mispronounced that, agreed with Bennett's assessment of the film, stating that it was, quote, a limited money-making autobiographical fantasy of the odyssey of one Melvin Van Peebles through what he considered to be the Black community, end quote. That sounds pretty gaslighty. Um... Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song is considered to be an important film in of in the history of African-American cinema. The film was credited by Variety as leading to the creation of the black exploitation genre, largely consisting of exploitation films made by white directors. As Spike Lee states, quote, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song gave us all the answers we needed. This was an example of how to make a film, distribute it yourself, and most important, get paid. Without Sweetback, who knows if there would have been a she's got to have it Hollywood shuffle or house party, end quote. Robert Reed Farr wrote that, quote, Sweetback was seen as the first in a long line of so-called black exploitation features, end quote, and goes on to say that Van Peebles was, quote, one of the first artists to bring not only compelling but realistic images of black Americans into mainstream cinemas, breaking with decades-long traditions, end quote. In 2004, Mario Van Peebles directed and starred as his father in Badass, a biopic about the making of Sweet Sweetback. The film was a critical but not commercial success. In a 2019 reference book published by the Museum of Modern Art, to commemorate key works of art in its collection, Anne Mora, associate curator of the Department of Films, says Sweetback's importance goes beyond the history of filmmaking and that its impact on, quote, social consciousness, culture, and political discourse remains indisputable, end quote. So, um, I liked this film a lot. I quite enjoyed it. I disagree with these prior, um, the, some of these reviews that say, like, it's not important or it's not revolutionary because it's not historical in any way, which I don't like when people say that about characters in general. A character does not have to be real or historical to be important or to be, you know, revolutionary. And same with, like, some of these reviews that I disagree with look at it in a very one-sided way instead of being like, you know, the Black community has a lot of intersectionality. Everyone has intersectionality. They have different identities that come together to form their primary identity, you know? Um, and some of these reviews kind of don't take that into account. They're like, this isn't 
this isn't how things are. This is not, and I'm like, that might not be how things are for you, but it is how things are for a lot of people in the black community. So why are you shutting that down and trying to say that's not how it is when that is how it is for a lot of people? Because clearly it resonated with a lot of people, with the whole community, with the whole world, with the film industry. Um, I, I don't, you know, and, and, you know, sexual emancipation, sexual liberation is entirely different, but this film intersects that with, you know, racial liberation. So, I disagree with those. I, I, my, my criticisms of this film are purely, um, um, uh, um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what is the word? Based on, like, the, the, the art of the film, not on the plot, because, you know, as a white person who grew up in a suburb, that is not my place to speak on that. I will never speak on, you know, a story about a community that is not my own or try to compare it to mine or anything like that because it's not my story to tell. That's not my opinion to give. My opinion is not important. Because um, I have quite a lot of privilege just from existing. So, and I don't feel, I don't have the right to give my opinion on the story itself. Um, but, uh, I enjoyed this film. I, this, like, this is, like, making a film yourself. Like, it has that look, yeah, but it's so well done, you know? It's like, it's like when you watch, like, Evil Dead and you're like, oh yeah, this is a group of, you know, student, film students making this on film that they could barely afford and there's so low budget, you know? That's what this film is. It's this guy wanted to make the film himself and he said, fuck it, I'm gonna make the film myself. I'm gonna make the film I want myself. I'm not gonna listen to... I'm not gonna listen to... What, what company was it? Columbia. I'm not gonna listen to Columbia. I'm gonna make my movie myself the way I want to. And I have so much respect for any and every filmmaker who's ever done that. Now, you know, in, in 2022, you know, filmmakers have a lot more of that freedom with the bigger production companies. A lot more. They don't have total freedom. All, you know, all filmmakers don't. But they have more, more of that freedom to be able to do that with those companies. But we're talking in the 70s with, you know, a black director who a film like this had never been made before. So, you know, white producers at Columbia are going to, you know, hear about this and gonna be like, what? Why would we make that? That's, why would we make that? But, you know, obviously the legacy of this film stands as proof of why it was, this film needed to be made. It was very important. It's, it's important to show all aspects of an ethnic group. 
all different socioeconomic statuses and all different places that people live in, all the different experiences that people go through, because everyone's experience is different depending on their intersectionality. Um, it's important to show that representation matters. Dear Columbia, I would like to tell you that representation really fucking matters. Which, I, I mean, yeah, obviously in the 70s, people are going to be like, we're going to question that, but it's incredibly important. Um, now we realize that more than they would then, but this was clearly a slap in the face to be like, oh, that shit matters. I'm trying to see if there's anything else I missed on here to read. Mm. Um, no, other than just, you know, Roger Ebert can get fucked for not considering this exploitation film. Um, this did not pop up later in the inner, in the thing thought I was going to read earlier and then I skipped it because I was like what if it pops up later on the article it did not so I'm going to read it now in 2020 the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally historically or aesthetically significant so Roger Ebert you can get fucked people criticize this movie you can get fucked because first of all it's really great it's a really good movie it is worth all 97 minutes and it's culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Like, the style that this film was done and the way that this film was made so, so overwhelmingly independently is important. The fact that this story alone was made is important. It's, it's so, it's, it's, it's so good. It's so good i give it four and a half peaches out of five um yeah i forgot to read this at the beginning of the article of of this i normally read it it's directed written produced starring edited by my melvin van peebles also produced by jerry gross cinematography is bob maxwell what else did he do he worked a lot in exploitation films. Anything that I have heard of. Um, other than this movie, is there anything I've heard of that this man DP'd on? No. That's okay. Um, music is obviously by Melvin Van Peebles and Earth, Wind, and Fire prior to their commercial success in the 70s. Later on in the 70s. Um production company is yeah incorporated it's distributed by cinemation industries uh, released march 31st 1971 97 minutes uh the budget was 150,000 150,000 and the box office was 15.2 million dollars in the 70s that obviously i don't think that applies to I don't, I don't think that applies to, like, now when there's screenings of it or, like, residual checks. Yeah. So, watch this movie if you get a chance. It is 
as the Library of Congress states, is culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. I like that phrase. I'm going to continue to use it when I talk about this movie because it is all of those things. It is overwhelmingly all of those things. It is important to culture. It is important to the history of this community, of, you know, of the Black community, of, you know, the people who experience these things in everyday life. Um, aesthetically significant, just the visuals, the editing, the music, everything is just beautiful. And then just, like I said before, how overwhelmingly independent this movie is, is so, so important. I would recommend this to a lot of film students, to a lot of people that, you know, are independent now. Because, like, this is another bit of proof of, like, it's possible. It's possible. Make your fucking movie. Do everything you want. Don't listen to what these production companies have to tell you. Make your movie. Make it happen. Um, so that is my review of it. I'm not going to read letterbox reviews because I don't feel like it, but also I have a feeling I know what the bad reviews are on it are going to like, you know, I started reading like one really good review and one really bad review. I have a feeling I know what the bad reviews for this movie are going to look like. And I would rather just not read that at all. I would just rather not deal with that. Um, yeah, so you can. Find me everywhere at Lucky Peach, LVCKY Peach. Uh, the, I have a big announcement. Not an announcement, it's more of an update. But you can, there is a link tree uh, in the description of the episode, as well as on all my socials that take you to my Twitter, my Instagram, TikTok, Letterboxd, um, Twitch, which I don't really use, but it's there. Uh, YouTube, the podcast itself. Um... And I'm always missing one. What am I missing? I'm missing something. I don't know. I'm always missing something. Oh, Patreon. At patreon.com slash luckypeach. That being said, thank you to my patrons at patreon.com slash luckypeach. If you join Patreon, there are multi multiple tiers starting at $1. You get episodes a week early, typically a week early with the exception of this week, which I do apologize for. But you get episodes early on Patreon at patreon.com slash as well as a lot of other perks. Um, there are also stickers available um, at Kofi, that's ko-fi.com forward slash the luckiest peach. There are stickers available there. And then the big update is that the website is almost ready. It is finally almost ready. I think by the time you guys listen to um, the monthly review, it will be ready. Um, literally all I have to do is add the backlog of episodes. Uh, Raul from the Nerd Chicano and the Nerdcore said he, when he made the website for the Nerdcore, he didn't even bother adding all that because there were so many episodes, but I am determined to make everything available to you guys. So I will spend all that time devoted to adding the backlog of every single episode onto the website before I release it before I launch it. So when it is launched, keep an eye on my Twitter, again, at Lucky Peach. That's where all the updates will be. So it should be done by the time that the monthly review releases. Um, that being said, the monthly review is uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth. 
going to be real honest, there was nothing that released in January that theatrically that I wanted to see. I had no desire to watch any of those films. Originally, I was going to do Cyrano, and then its wide release isn't until later on in February. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just review The Tragedy of Macbeth. It released theatrically on Christmas last year, but it released like officially, officially on Apple TV Plus in January. So we're going with that. I wouldn't necessarily say it, you know, fits the theme of Black History Month because it's made by, you know, Joel Cohen and it does have a primarily white cast, but it stars Denzel. So like, I mean, I also don't have the right to tell you whether or not it fits, but it has Denzel. So I'm like, that, I, I, it's also the only thing that I, that was most recently released theatrically that I am interested in reviewing for the podcast so i will be reviewing the tragedy of macbeth next week and i hope you come to that i hope i don't hope you come to that but i hope you were excited for that i hope you are excited for me to review a film um that is an adaptation of a play by a writer i really honestly don't care about because <laughs> i'm not a fan of shakespeare but i'm gonna watch it because i'm a fan of denzel washington and i am a fan of Joel Cohen. I'm also a fan of Ethan Cohen. Um, I will be going to review, review, read, review. No, I will be reading Ethan Cohen's review of The Tragedy of Macbeth after I finish recording because I heard it is a doozy and I'm excited for that. <laughs> I heard it's petty as fuck and I'm excited for that. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening. I will see you guys next week. Uh, again, I apologize for the interruptions and for me getting angry at those interruptions. But I will see you guys next week and stay peachy.